Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Connect with DP City. I have two of my favorite people in the world in here with us, Pastor Steve and Pastor Suzanne Ryan. I have to unmute Pastor uh, Steve's mic. I, I forgot. There we go. Hit us with a hello, Pastor Steve. Hello. I thought I was your favorite. You said <laughs> you you're are. two favorite people. Yeah, but he said oh. your name first. Well, oh, he did. You know, yeah. you guys are like one. It's like... The two shall become one. Yeah, exactly. Are you prophesying right now? Yeah, I love I love your guys' whole family. The, the Ryan family is held in very high esteem in our household. So, Well, we feel the same way about you guys. You guys are like our best friends, and then we your kids are awesome. Thank you. I agree. Cheyenne's a little spicy lately, but I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, she just turned 13, that's why. I said on <laughs> Sunday, I said she just turned 10, and she looked at me, and she was like, I don't like that. <laughs> she gave you her side eye. Uh-huh. She's got a side eye. It was eye. funny. Um, now you're on her bad list. I don't know. I've yeah. been trying to see how if I could get there. I, oh, you I don't, don't want to? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. I've it's hard to say with, with Cheyenne. Yeah. She's like the... Have you guys ever watched The Incredibles? Yeah. Yeah. Where Dash, the little, little fast one, goes and puts the thumbtack on the <laughs> teacher seat and like disappears. That'd be her. I could see her doing that yeah. if she could. <laughs> So we are one week out from what I feel like has been one of the best Sunday services we've had at DP City in a while. I mean, worship was fire. Everything was absolute. The transition was amazing. The sermon was great. I'm going to butcher this right now because I cannot say Mashibabas name. Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth. But I probably say it wrong too, so. (laughs) Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so we're, we're one week out, and that sermon was powerful. So many people came up to me, I know, after service and were saying, like, how it impacted their life and, awesome. and stuff like that. So we wanted to get in here and just talk a little bit about um, people who feel like they're living in the shadows, people who feel like they don't have a lot of value. And I think this is something that all three of us can relate to, at least in different phases of our lives. And like you said from the pulpit, you said, I'm sorry if you guys didn't get anything from this. I was probably preaching more to myself <laughs> than you guys I feel that way every time I preach. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty I don't close. know what it is, but I feel like that. Go ahead, you preached it. Go ahead and tell them what the title was, and then kind of what your whole thought process was in doing the sermon. Yeah, so the title was the only one left. So the story is basically uh, King Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan and King David were best friends. Uh, Jonathan had a son, had several sons, but one of them was Mephibosheth. When King Saul and Jonathan died in battle, uh, it says that the nurse for Mephibosheth, see, I'm going to say it different every time now, uh, <laughs> is that he, uh, she ran to get him out of the palace because the enemy was killing everybody in King Saul's family. And so she ran to save him, and in doing so, she tripped down steps, and he became crippled and lame. He broke his legs. Um, is what they believe. So he lived in exile um, basically for the remainder of that period of his life. And then one day King David comes back and says, is there not somebody left in King Saul's family that I can honor? Um, And Ziba, who was one of the servants or whoever he was for King David, came forward and said, yeah, but, you know, he's crippled, he's lame, he's the only one left, he's living in, oh, what was the name of the town? Lodabar. Lodabar, thank you. Um, which basically the name means nothing. There's no thing there. Um, and so he was living kind of in the slums. And um, so the message was about, you know, sometimes we feel like that's us, 
or I feel like that's me sometimes. You yeah. know, I'm living in nothing. I'm there's nothing good. Nothing good's coming out of it. Um, kind of the only one left, forgotten. But at the same time, the other side of the message was that we are each God's masterpiece. You know, we are the only one. You know, we were created with a specific purpose and a plan that God has for us, not for you know, if, if I don't do my plan and purpose, it doesn't pass on to you or somebody else. It was created for me. Um, and so the message was about, you know, reminding us that we we are the only one. You know, we have to fight for what we um, are, is rightfully ours. Mm. And he was royalty, even if he lived in the slums and acted like he wasn't. That didn't change what his original uh, purpose and inheritance and all that was. So he must have been a juvenile then when... When they don't really say, but I'm imagining otherwise, how would, why would he, why would the nurse falling down the stairs break his legs? It says that was... he was only four or five. Oh, yeah. So he so was he a was young, a he was a young kid. Yeah. yeah. When, when he was crippled. That's crazy. So, and you know, the other part was that, you know, it, it wasn't the falling that crippled him, it was the not healing properly. You know, we all have things that we don't heal properly on that affect us years later. Mm. I think my favorite part was when you said, um, that he never, he never had went to the throne to like state his case, but honor ended up finding him anyways. Because I feel like a lot of times people are always like, "Look at me, look what I'm doing, look who mm. I am," and like trying to almost give a ultimatum to God to bless them. You know, I'm doing all this, and you're not. Right. But, look what I've done. Yeah. Look who I am. But when you continue just living in the way you're supposed to, you work hard. You do all those things, those blessings will just automatically flow to you. You don't have to rally people to bless you. You don't have to manipulate to you get position. To plead your case. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. have to plead your case. But I think at the same time, he probably could have. I don't think he ever did, mm-hmm. obviously, but, I mean, blessings found him. Yeah. You know, King David found him, even though he was clearly never going to state who he was. But imagine him walking around Lodabar being like, man... I'm royalty. You know, everyone been like, yeah. oh, shut your mouth, dude. Like He wasn't crippled, so walking around probably would have been difficult. Imagine being <laughs> wheeled around Lola Bar, Lola Bar, <laughs> <laughs> and, and like trying to tell people, I'm royalty, you know, <laughs> and people have been like, no, nah, you kind of live in the, slum, the same slums we live in, dude. Like, right. You know what I mean? So pleading your case wouldn't really do much for you there. But I think we do that. Oh, I mean, yeah. All of us do that at some point in our life. You know, do we live up to our potential and who we were really made to be and everything else. hundred percent. Yeah. I was thinking as you guys were talking, because I know I sent a text the day after Suzanne preached to you and Suzanne and said, I think it'd be interesting to do a discussion around suffering and silence because we had watched the movie come out in Jesus name. And one of the things that was, I found very interesting this morning, I was counting the offering Alexis comes in and says, there's a lady out front that wanted to come and meet with Pastor Susan, but she's not here. So I eventually went out. She had went back outside, and when I went out to her, she's someone that went to the church decades ago. Specifically, when we went up, I went up and talked to her, she said, my son's in the car there, and he needs deliverance. Mm. So I ended up going over and having a conversation and the strange part was he said that he has had this extreme demonic activity, no sleep, completely exhausted. And I said to him, I said, so you've been suffering in silence. 
And then we started, I started speaking some scripture over him and started, uh, eventually I prayed with him. And I said, you know, you don't have to live like that. And then yesterday I had a conversation with someone, same thing. The person said to me, I thought I was the only one. And I think a lot of times that, like with her sermon, when you talk about Mephibosheth, you, th- you think this is an individual that thought, I come from nothing, I am nothing, I'll never be anything, I'll never amount to anything. I know you can relate to that, mm-hmm. Kyle, because you talked about, like, talk a little bit about going through some depression, and and I know you've mentioned that before on some podcasts, but... Yeah, I just think, um, I think, at least for me, my I've always had a problem with my future being in question. You know, I've had times where I didn't think, well, when I was younger, I wasn't really good at anything. And so I would look at people around me who could draw. I would look at people around me who could sing, who could play sports, who could do things. And there were always people always really good at things and I never had a skill. And so I would just be like, okay, what am I going to do with even that's like third, fourth grade? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? Because I'm not good at anything. And to this day, and I know it's like my fatal flaw, I still don't feel like I'm very good at things. But what I've learned, I've gained a skill or an appreciation for knowledge or learning. I like to learn new skills because mm. nothing has ever come easy to me in as far as skill set. You know, like I don't I I can't just naturally draw. Like I have to work really hard to become good at drawing. I couldn't just naturally do anything. I just I don't know what my natural gifts are. Probably talking is probably what it <laughs> is. You know. And so And ironically, you're leading a podcast. Yeah. So it's a natural <laughs> fit. And so yeah, like for me, I think a lot of my depression as a kid and even in my, you know, teenage years and young adult years was just a, a questionable future. Like, am I always going to be able to support my wife and kids? Am I always going to be able to, you know, do the, like, what am I going to do? And that can, as a man, that can drive you down, you know, because you're like, am I doing enough? Am I always going to be able to do this? Is this always going to be there? You know, I could go harder doing like my graphic design work, but if I do that, then I might be um, slacking on my school, like teaching. So I'm not going to mm. do, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's for me, at least. And that's why I always keep myself busy. I know you guys hate that. You always mm-hmm. give me a hard time, but I cannot be idle. <laughs> well, and I think that can be good. But I was going to say to Suzanne, because um, one of the things that I, I text to an individual the other day, I said, depression is like being in a cave and you're screaming. Mm-hmm. And nobody hears you as they're walking by. And me and Suzanne had this conversation, several conversations over the last week or two weeks. But one of them that come out is she talked about things that she went through in high school. But at the same time, how she felt like she wasn't the popular kid. Nobody knew who she was. And like for you, does it did it make you feel like you were a nobody or you come from nothing, even though you come from a family of pastors and public life. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, obviously I grew up as a pastor's kid. So, you know, you would think you're always, because you're always around people and, you know, they're godly people and whatever the connotation is. Um, But yeah, I mean, I grew up very much feeling like my voice was never heard. Um, and whether that was because of things I did or other people did to me or around me, it didn't matter. Um, you know, there was a lot of times where where it 
I, I had the feeling like, well, it, it doesn't matter if I say something. Even if I say it, they're really not going to hear or me. fall on empty mm. ears. Yeah. yeah, and I think even as an adult, you know, even in ministry, you know, and that's the thing is even in ministry, you can feel like that. You know, right or wrong, you can feel like, well, it doesn't matter if I say something because who's really going to hear what you have to say? Um, and, you know, when you're on, you know, I always say just because I'm up, on stage doesn't mean I'm more spiritual. I have the microphone. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> I mean, just more more of a target. You're more you're in the limelight. Yeah, you know, and I think it's hard for people to see that. You know, and and I get it. I mean, there's people I look up to and go, oh my gosh. But you know, in reality, they're just people like us. You know, they have the same things. It's not everybody wants to hear that somebody like that has stuff going on. But at the same time, I think pastors and people in ministry, you know, we, we got to be honest and real. And if I'm going to hold a standard in ministry, everybody's in ministry to somebody. You know, mm. I always say everybody's a leader to somebody, whether it's your kids or your neighbors. Somebody's looking up to you. Um, you know, so it's hard to hold that standard. But at the same time, isn't that the Christian standard to everybody? Like mm-hmm. we should all be holding the same standard. Um, and so I think at times in ministry, you feel like you're isolated because people feel like, well, you got to hold a better standard. Mm. But you shouldn't. You should hold the same standard. Yeah, we should all be holding that same standard. You know, that that's good. I wanted to go back to what you had said about, like, depression, feeling like you're in a cave. It's, it's one thing that I've noticed, at least in my life, is, like, everybody... So we love to say, like, there is no your truth. There's just the truth mm-hmm. and then your opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that statement. However, when, when it comes to people's depression, everyone's depression is so different. It's so different. And, you know, pharmaceuticals and all that, they want to bottle up the cure and say, like, here, here's the the cure for depression. But everybody goes through, like, some people will go through suicidal tendencies and thoughts. Other people, they'll never commit suicide, but they'll do the most self-dimensional behavior. Mm. And they do that out of depression. Like, they just, they won't bathe. They won't brush their teeth. They won't go to work on time. They won't talk to their parents, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, like, so there is no one thing that cures it except for Jesus you know and I feel bad for people because a lot of times they they will ask me like well you know how did you come out of depression and anxiety and you know sometimes I don't like to say I came out of it all the time because that's usually when I'll start getting attacked by it again (laughs) but um I'm so much better now than I was two years ago I mean two years ago even working at the school when you guys would ask me to do a chapel or something I get massive anxiety attacks like right before I'd go up and I don't have the answer other than Jesus took it away and and they'll be like well you know okay but how and I'm like uh, if I could bottle it up man I I would be rich you know well one of the things not to interrupt you but she had an anxiety attack before she preached the sermon right that's what you said to me just prior to getting up yeah it was pretty bad uh, well I went and and came here in the main offices because it was, I get claustrophobic feeling. Um, and I know, you know, from being a kid and having him, you know, it's been a long time since I had him like that. Um, and, you know, we had other stuff going on that it just, it was so heavy and it, it was hard. I ended up just walking out of the sanctuary <laughs> for a while because I, I couldn't be around anybody and it was feeling louder and louder and louder, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't talking to anybody. Um, so, yeah, and I have no formula as to how it went away except for just God, mm-hmm. just Jesus. I mean, 
I, I think I wrote Steve and was he asked where I was and I was like I kind of was having an anxiety a attack moment. and I I had yeah. to walk away and and it, it you know you got to find a way to refocus yourself and I think everybody has their different ways um, you know I'm I'm fairly quiet at moments you know in, in my times I think when I get depressed or when I start to feel anxiety I kind of shelter myself in and that's not always the best thing to do mm-hmm. um but, you know, I think I just had to recenter. I mean, I went to another church on Sunday, and I wrote Steve and was like, I don't want to be here. Like, <laughs> I have to talk to people I don't know, and I, I get flustered. By the way, I heard you did a great job from people that is not family. A couple well, people reached thanks. out to me that were there. And were like, That's oh, cool. man, she did amazing. That's awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. It was fun. So yeah. for you, Kyle, when you start to feel like maybe depression's trying to come back, because we know it creeps, you know. And as a teacher, let's just say you're whether it's you're getting ready to go into teach class, you're getting ready to go up and preach a sermon or do announcements offering or go home and be a dad. How do you fend that off? Or if you're walking <laughs> through it, how do you walk through it knowing you still have stuff to do? So as far as teaching goes, it's so easy because I love our kids. Mm-hmm. Like I absolutely adore all of our kids on campus and they're my friends. Like, yeah, I'm their authority and I'm their teacher, but I truly enjoy their company. So it's just like being around my friends. So I'm able to get my mind off of it and joke around and and get what we need to get done, but also in a positive environment. And it's all about having a positive environment. Now, with like any other time other than that, it's all sheer willpower. That's the one thing. Okay, that I guess that is my natural skill set is my sheer willpower to Mm -hmm. just do something even if I don't want to do it. And um, that's all it is. And usually God honors it. You know, it's kind of like I'm going through anxiety, but I know I have to give my testimony. I'm just going to shut that up and I'm going to do it. I feel like at least a couple minutes through, God will honor that. And it just pulls away from me. But I do have my times where like breathing helps. And I know like yoga and stuff like that. There's a lot of stuff out there. But we have to remember God's name is Yahweh, which is breath. And a lot of times when I'm getting anxiety or depression, I have to like stop and take really deep breaths before sermon or before something. And like, not just like breathing, like, but I mean, like, like really just really deep breaths. And for some reason it can center me again. And I, the anxiety or depression is not gone, but I can dial in on what is about to happen. You know, um, I was kind of going through it this morning or yesterday morning before opening and I felt like it like threw my whole opening off because I don't know. I was just like not I don't know. But everyone else was like, oh, opening was good. And I was like, OK, cool. But I don't know. I, I was I had to take a couple breaths before that. Yeah, your opening was good. So so you're asking us all the questions, Steve. So you got up a couple two weeks ago now, two Sundays ago and talked about how you were having a hard time. So how do you overcome those same things that we're talking about? I think that particular morning, I didn't know I was going to do transition until you asked me, and I was already in the men's group. And for me, I immediately knew the Holy Spirit just spoke to me because I just revealed that that morning my plan was to talk to you and your parents by Sunday afternoon or probably the latest the next day and say I was going to step down from the church and as chaplain of the school. I was convinced I was going to do that. And... I knew, like you wrote me a text after you asked me to do transition, and you basically said, 
you have to fight for this. So for me, I get to points where I don't mind demonic attacks. I don't, I'm not a demon chaser, but I, I recognize it now more. And it usually, I'll see it quicker. I'll, it can do a lot of damage for me and the people around me before I recognize it. But I just knew I had to get up and declare it. And I knew if I did, there was other people in the room suffering, that I wasn't suffering alone. Like I just, I heard this yesterday and I thought it was pretty powerful that this is a true story, a guy that was at like a uh, college, like a Harvard or a Yale or something. And he was 60 years old and his wife had Alzheimer's and he went to the board and said he was going to step away. And they were kind of shocked and they tried to keep him. And finally one of his really good friends said, why would you leave this prestigious position she doesn't know who you are anymore. She doesn't know your name. And he goes, but I know her name. Mm. And for me, I know that no matter how bad things get, I know his name. And when I know his name, things will come out of me that will touch somebody's life. And then all of a sudden, they're going to know that they're not a nothing. They're going to know that they didn't come from nothing and that someone cares about them and someone knows their name. So for me, when I'm lucid and I, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me and I'm yielding to that, I feel like I can do anything because I can through him. When I'm bowing to the demonic stuff or my flesh, it can do major damage to me. And I know if it's doing it to me or you, Kyle, or you, Suzanne, all of us are pastors, all of us are leaders. If that's happening to us, What's happening to other people, and do they know how to stand up? I know it's yeah. kind of a long answer, but no, it's good. Yeah. Well, one thing that you said that's super powerful is, um, like Sharice and I say it all the time. Part of the reason why we stayed at DP City was like the fact that you knew our name. Mm-hmm. Like the first time we came, we felt it was overwhelming welcome and joy and connection and like follow up and stuff. And so there is power in that, you know, uh, knowing people's names and knowing whose name that you serve ultimately introducing people that's one thing that i really loved about men's group this sunday was reggie was talking about you know men needing to step up but not in like uh you know we're masculine or saying like we we need to start discipling people in the church and start moving in positions and bringing up new leaders and in transfer and transitioning into the next phase of our spiritual walk and journey and leadership and start implementing new leaders and teaching them how to disciple people and start building the pyramid scheme Mm. for a lack of a better term at DP city. And I fully agree with him because what are we doing if we're getting into a place where we're doing ministry or we've been put into leadership and then we don't ever bring anybody in up under us Mm. and elevate their ministry or elevate them into leadership and allow them to, you know, scrape their knee a little bit and dust them off and pour some peroxide and say, hey, yeah, you messed that one up, but that's okay. This is how we fix it, and let's keep going because we want somebody above us that does that for us, you know. When we scrape our knee, pour a little peroxide on it, yeah. threaten that, to fire us. Well, I was thinking about, like, with Suzanne, because you didn't know anything about running a school, <laughs> but like you said, if you're giving people freedom to come up and do things and take and run with it, then six, seven, eight years later, you you as a principal. But even like getting up to preach, 
some people would go, well, that's just a natural for Suzanne. She grew up with pastors, but it's not. And probably is it more pressure for you because of who your parents are? Yeah, I think it can be at times. I think I, I've kind of grown a little bit away from that. It, I think it depends on who I'm preaching to. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, you know, it's intimidating when my parents are sitting there. They're, they're my parents, but they're also my pastors. You know, I, I look up to them as pastors, and they're my parents. And so you got the parent side where, you know, you want to you wanna be good for your parents no matter how old you are. Um, I don't think that ever necessarily goes away, but I think there's a point where I have to separate myself from both of those and go, okay, it wouldn't matter if, um, yeah, I shouldn't say it wouldn't matter. It shouldn't distract me if they didn't want me to preach, and it shouldn't distract me if as pastors they didn't want me here or as parents they didn't want me here. I'm not saying they don't, but yeah. I have to separate from that and go either what I feel like I have to preach today is from God or it's not. And if it is, then it doesn't matter what anybody is thinking when I'm up here or saying or looking like, you know, it's the verse, I think it was in Jeremiah where God said, don't look at their faces and how they're responding. Just give the message and, you know, God will carry the rest. In reality, it sounds easy, but it's not always easy. You know, you still, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I get up and preach, I still have that running commentary in the back of my head, like, oh my gosh, I just said that out loud <laughs> <laughs> Why I'm still talking. Um, so, you know, I think you still, you're always going to deal with that human side of you, um, you know, the physical and the spiritual kind of duel as you go. Not that we're any, that, not that us three are special or anything like that, but the one thing I've heard all three of us say during a sermon is, I don't even know why I said that. <laughs> yeah. All three of us have said that out loud before. Times. Yeah. So funny. <laughs> Well, why do you think? Do you think because you're just sensitive to the Holy Spirit and you'll I think things we, come? it has to be the reason. I mean, there's been times where, like in your sermons, where you just stop right off your notes and point somebody out in a crowd and have like an individual conversation with them for five minutes and then go right back into your notes without missing a beat. And I'm sure to that person, they needed that. Whatever that five minutes of attention and admiration was, for them, like the, now, if you ever did that to me before I knew you, that would have terrified the crap out of me. <laughs> I would have been like, "Hey, man," uh, <laughs> you know. But um, I think that's amazing. I couldn't do it. I don't think now God's gonna make me do it. I would get lost in my notes. I would be like, "Oh man, where was I?" <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I'm a horrible podcast preacher because I love to go down and talk to people. But it is everyone's gifted differently, and I think that's what's great about the body. You know, you had mentioned earlier about. I know you use the word yoga, and we know that the yoga in and of itself, doing the stretches is probably good for you, but we know the enemy hijacks the things of God. We're supposed to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Mm -hmm. We're supposed to take it and, and, and chew on it and allow it to really minister to us. And when you do that, you do walk in freedom. I think I was talking to someone earlier, or when I was ministering to the guy earlier that was in the kind of the bondage, Ironically, he's coming back at 1.30 for me and Frank and his mom. We're all going to sit down together. But I told him when Jesus went into the desert desert and was fasting, we know the Holy Spirit thrust him out there. But Jesus' response after 40 days of no food, you got to think about You fasted before? Yeah, the most I've ever done is five days. Yeah, five days is a long time. You fasted, I've fasted. I haven't fasted five days, but I come off of a fast not too long ago. You're so focused you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like dialed in. So think about after 40 days and then him going, 
take that stone and turn it to bread. He knew Jesus could do that. He knew who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. And I think for Jesus to be so dialed in, he said, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. And for me, I was just praying to God this morning and saying, I want to be like Samuel. I don't want one word that I speak fall to the ground. Mm. I don't want to waste communication anymore. I don't want to waste my life doing things to satisfy my flesh or my ego. And I think that's the thing is when he's first, like you said, you can be preaching all of a sudden you say something and you go, oh, my God, where'd that come from? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, my God, it <laughs> come from God. So, <laughs> Well, those are a lot of times that that little sentence does more ministry than mm. the whole sermon you spent three, four hours planning out and going over and practicing and practicing. Is that frustrating for you or you like that? Because she had it too when she preached her life. Like when you know you've put all this time in and you're like, oh man, God took me off that. I don't know. I mean, I think maybe in my flesh it could be frustrating, but at the same time, if I'm doing it for the right reason, I want to minister to people. So if God needs me to say something different than what I've planned or what I've done, then, you know, that's me being studious and being what I want to do because I don't want to just like you said I don't want to be up there on the stage just giving motivational speeches that go away and 10 minutes get you feeling the goosebumps for 10 minutes like it's a halftime speech at a football Mm -hmm. game and then just runs out like I want the words that flow for me to be words that stick with kids or or people or adults you know because they're God's words and when they're having depression or anxiety or whatever it is. I've noticed like at least right now in my phase of my life, I have a niche of things that I preach about. And usually it's about overcoming or um, depression, anxiety, or your value. It's obviously stuff I've dealt with my whole life. You know, I'm not really into that like theologic teaching phase Mm -hmm. of my life. I'm not going to go through a Bible, like a, a chapter of the Bible and break every bloodline down. And I'm not saying I won't be there one day, but God just doesn't have me right there right now, you know? That'll be his next sermon from Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus. <Or> Chronicles. <laughs> the Chronicles. <laughs> so since we, I know, I the don't want The Chronicles wanna, of Chronicles. The Chronicles of Narnia and Kyle oh, and Charissa no. and Kina and Kalea. Oh, man, but, if somebody followed my family around with a camera. We should uh, follow keeping you. Keeping up with the Headleys. That's would, a great, I like fired. that. We should you do that. Get rid that of actually us. sounds like a good name. I know it does sound like a good. Like keeping up with the Ryan's just isn't the same. No, that sounds great. Keeping up with the Headleys. The problem is, cool. is both with keeping up with the Ryan's and keeping up with the Headleys. Ninety percent of the content is on this campus, anyway. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Did that really happen? No, there's no way. But uh, I figure since we started with Suzanne, we'll end with Suzanne because I know we're like at one thirteen, one fourteen. I know you got to get out of here, and then I know you wrap up and do your thing. So. Like for you, when he was talking about the Holy Spirit's speaking to you as you're actually doing a sermon, which people don't realize how hard it is to be sensitive to that while you have 200, 300 people in front of you listening to what you're saying. So how do you, when you feel like the Holy Spirit's kind of taking you in a different direction off your notes, how do you deal with that? Um, you know, I've, I've always found that the not always most of the time I find that the sermons that I go into that I'm like oh my gosh this is such a good sermon (laughs) they're usually the worst and the ones where I second guess the most like that last Sunday that I preached I was like I don't even know this I don't know what I'm doing it's almost like the less obviously the less of me the more God has to fill in 
And I think every time I get up to, to preach or to teach or something like that, I'm always like, I know who I am. So I'm always like, God, you, like, you got to show up because I'm not a good preacher. I'm not a good speaker. Like, unless you're here, everybody might as well just go home. And, you know, that can be like a false humility side. But in my own private prayer time, I think that's where I'm always at. So when I'm up preaching and, you know, I said something on that Sunday um, that you brought up about the, you know, when was the last time we petitioned the king? That wasn't even in my notes, but I know I said it. And later on, I was like, oh, man, that, that kind of hurt. <laughs> like, <laughs> when was the last time I actually went to God, like, as a reminder? Like, God, don't you remember? This is what you, these are your promises. Mm-hmm. This is what you said. I don't know that I do that. I think I talk about it. You know, it's one thing to talk about saying something to God. It's another thing actually saying something to God. Um, so, yeah, I think there's moments that I hope we all have like that. You know, there's a lot of times where I'll have, I mean, you know, my my sermon notes are much longer than yours, um, but simply because you remember more than I do and I write everything down in case I forget. But a lot of times, half of the stuff that's in there, I don't even end up saying. I think I will. The things that are highlighted the most, I tend to gloss over and God just finds a way to fill in, which is always a little weird. But So I was going to say this because I know you'll be wrapping this up, but when she made the statement petitioning the king, could you fill in the room? Like that was one of those things that kept going. You know what I'm saying? Where I people are like, I can't speak for everyone, but that's what stuck with me. Yeah. And for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One, when is the last time I petitioned him for what I want? And two, do I have to petition him or do I keep, and it, it keeps getting me at the same time. Like that's good. I'm being honored. I'm being, I'm moving up in ministry. I'm moving up in my workplace. Like, And I don't go petitioning for that. You know what I mean? Like, my leaders just see that and want to honor me. And then at the same time, petitioning God for what he's promised me, Mm -hmm. you know, and reminding him, like, hey, I'm doing all this, and you are not a God that would lie. So, you know, come through on your end, buddy. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm not trying to. (laughs) I always tell God I got really good timing. I don't know why he doesn't just go with my plan, but whatever. But don't you think, too, like you preaching this last time, or any of us when we preach, but yours the most recent. If you get addicted to the accolades either of yourself or others, you won't then come off of that. And, you know, you should, I think God wants to reward us and say, hey, man, that was amazing what you did and everything. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it's done, we all know you go to the next thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you get stuck there, then you start to believe you're the one that brings the revelation instead mm. of the Holy Spirit. Does that? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I. there's been times where I, I'll unfortunately walk off and pat myself on the back like, wow, that was, <laughs> came out really good. <laughs> but honestly, the 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 last time I preached, it was it was hard. It was really hard. I mean, and you didn't have your sermon completed until maybe forty-eight hours before. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Maybe I, maybe. I finished it on Saturday. But uh, honestly, it. I think the harder leading up to a sermon it is, and I don't want that to happen every time. It. It. It's. Yeah, I don't it's want better. that to happen every time either. <laughs> Do you have your notes done way in advance? And I know you got to go, but generally, yeah. But I'm struggling for this next ablaze. Um, I had three sermons ready for ablaze, which you mentioned to me. Yeah, Yeah. and I have used every single one on different things. Time for a new one. And uh, that's just God didn't want it for ablaze. And now I sit down to take my notes, and I'm like, hmm, this is gonna be one of those things that I go through some stuff, and then 
I'm going to have a sermon a couple days before. Mm. So I'm just on like high guard. I got my shield up and I'm like, <laughs> all right. Have some energy. So note, yeah. to, note to Pastor Bob, uh, let's put Kyle on a Sunday morning so we can get him ready for another sermon <laughs> oh, that he needs to prepare. So. <laughs> Imagine that and make another sermon before Blaze. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the reason why we have chapel and, and generally at, for the church or the school, I mean, and generally I would put myself on like mm. the the fronter tier of, you know, when, when chapels are, but this time I waited all the way to November to put myself on the wow. chapel list. And I was like, okay, cause I know a blaze is coming up. So I need to like, you got a lot um, on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anytime I get an opportunity to preach to people, I want to make sure I'm giving a hundred percent of what I got, you know, that's good. So well, I know we got to go. You want to close on it? Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us. We know this one was short, but we hope you guys loved it. As always, you can reach out at dpcitypod at gmail.com. And we love you, church. See you next time.